Shortly before Rosh Hashanah, my friend and colleague, Rabbi Dr. Danny Schiff, who was the Gefsky Community Scholar at the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh and a noted teacher and researcher in Jewish ethics, asked me to have a conversation with him over Zoom for some of the leadership of the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh. He wanted to talk about what's happened in Israel over the course of the past 10 months how American Jews might think about what has happened, but also about what might still unfold in Israel in the coming months and year. And towards the end of our hour-long conversation, which I thoroughly enjoyed, Dan asked me a question that no one else had put in quite those terms before. He said, lay out for us the most pessimistic but realistic scenario going forward, but also the most optimistic and realistic scenario for what might still play out in Israel. It was a fun and interesting challenge, and the opportunity to end with optimism struck me as being very appropriate to this particular season of the Jewish year. So we're sharing with our listeners just a few minutes of that conversation, with my thanks to Rabbi Dr. Schiff and to the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh. Lay out for us, first of all, the most pessimistic but realistic scenario going forward, acknowledging that there are so many variables and possibilities. But what, what, but again, from 30,000 feet, what, what's the most pessimistic but realistic scenario? And then finish with what you promised us. What, what's the most optimistic? Uh, realistic scenario that uh, that might await us. Okay, so first I have to give you a little bit of family history here to bring full full uh, I don't know full three dimensionality to this answer. I mean, Danny, you know, it's always so it's always so much fun to talk to you because you're so smart and you 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 you, you know you're so thoughtful and, and 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 nuanced at the same time. And I think looking at both of those is exactly the way to do this. Look, we already said quickly, I'm going to do it really quickly. I'll say what I think the, the, the bad scenario is. The, the bad scenario, I mean, look, is it possible to have a, a physical civil war? I, I guess, but I'm not really worried about that. I am worried about sporadic violence. It wouldn't take that much for one crazy right-wing person to throw a grenade into the into the protest of 140,000 people in Tel Aviv. You can't protect 140,000 people. It takes only one deranged person to go throw something into a crowd. I mean, that's possible. I, I pray to God. That, that will not happen but you know that but i'm not but let's talk about serious uh sort of um you know widespread the, the 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 most serious one is the one that i articulated which is that if this country moves forward with this agenda and people here feel in six months in one year in five years that it's just not really a liberal democracy anymore the people that are the most mobile which are the people that are the most educated and the people who have the most money and the people who are the most talented, not all, but most, are going to say, I'm just, this is not where I want my grandchildren to grow up. And they'll be gone. 
And then what we'll just gradually see, you'll you'll track the GDP, you'll track the level of safety, you'll track Israelis on the happiness scale internationally. This year, we ranked fourth after the three Scandinavian countries. We were next. Um, I don't know what they have in Scandinavia, but evidently something we don't have. But um, uh, but nonetheless, after the Scandinavians, we were fourth. I'm going to be very interested in seeing next year where we rank. Because uh, I could see it being just as strong, because my God, we proved we love this country. Or I could see a scenario in which we tank a bit. We'll see. But if this becomes that, then you know where we're headed in that direction. It's just gonna, just gonna wither. It's gonna wither, and it'll look very much like what Palestine looked like in 1880. Some poor Jews, dependent on influxes from the diaspora, mostly religious, studying Torah, completely at the whim of whatever local authorities there were. Then it was, then it was, you know, the Ottomans. It won't be the Ottomans again, I don't think. But it'll be somebody else. That we've talked about that. Let's talk about um, let's talk about the optimistic scenario, right? I mean, we're going to say many of us on Saturday and on Sunday, Hayom Harat Olam. After we blow shofar, so we're going to say it on Sunday. Most shuls don't blow shofar on Shabbat. Um, Hayom Harat Olam. This is the birthday of the world. This is a this is a day which is simply pregnant with possibility. It's a day in which infinite development and and, and creativity loom for us. That's what we're celebrating, right? We're blowing the shofar to kind of reawaken us and to remind us to both the need to do self-reflection, as you so correctly said, but also the unbelievable things that human beings are capable of. And um, something something very powerful has been awakened here. We all know that. A lot of the people who are out there protesting didn't vote on November 1st. Because really, fifth time in two and a half years, you're going to vote once again. Well, now they know that not voting actually is a pretty dangerous move. And I, I'm, I don't know where we're going to land on the happiness scale a year from now. It's conducted by the UN. I don't know where, but I know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm almost certain what's going to happen to the percentages of people who vote. It's going to skyrocket. And that's good. And it'll be both right and left, by the way. It's not that one group is not. Everybody's going to get more involved. Everybody's going to care. The people on the streets feel part of something unbelievably powerful. It's just, if you haven't been there, it's just, I mean, to see a sea of Israeli flags, religious and secular and young and old. And one of the things that I, I think, you know, my wife says, you're, you're, you're a liar, but not you, me. Um, she says, you're not done writing books. And I said, I actually kind of think I am. I really enjoy playing with grandchildren more than I enjoy writing books at this stage of my life. But if I had to write like a little book really quickly, I would do a coffee table book of photographs that I'm actually taking of all the different t-shirts at the at the protests. And some of them make me literally cry. There's one that I took last week of a woman. She's, she said, a hundred years old. She said, I fought in the underground to create the state of Israel 75 years ago, and I'm out on the streets again to protect what it is we created. And I, I, I took that picture and, you know, backed it up 50,000 times. There's the guys that wear the white shirts with the blueprint that says, uh, what does it say? Lohame Yom Kippur, Medinim Shuv Ala Medina. The combat veterans of the Yom Kippur War protecting the state once again. I mean, there's something so unbelievably powerful here. For Shikma Bressler, who's this totally secular um, former basketball player, now physicist, I mean, she can do almost everything, it seems, um, person to be at the head of this movement where she was out of politics. She was never in politics. She just all of a sudden got involved. Things have been awakened here. And the sense of 
partnership and the sense of camaraderie. So the best scenario, Danny, is we will figure out a way of passing enough judicial reform, like maybe just what we've already passed, so that people who did vote for the coalition don't say, I got zero legislative impact for my voter buck. Like, why should they feel that way? They did win the election, which may be why the Supreme Court doesn't overturn it, by the way. But we'll see what they're going to do. But um, they need to feel that they got something because that's a democracy. Not everything has to go the way I want it to go. And reasonability is actually, if you have to lose on any of the four planks, it's the one to lose on. Um, So we have to get to a place where everybody feels that they lost something. Everybody feels that they gained something. And then everybody feels, but look, we got through this together. We got through this like no other country in the history of the world has ever gotten through this. The United States slaughtered itself a little bit more than 75 years after it was created. Poland and Hungary capitulated basically to non-democratic status. Turkey doesn't even pretend to be a democracy in any meaningful way anymore. I mean, so far we've pulled off something that no, look, after the French Revolution, I mean, people slaughtered each other. After the Russian Revolution, people slaughtered each other. We never did that after the 48 Revolution. In the Chinese Revolution with Mao, they slaughtered the people that they, we didn't do that. We've always managed to do this a little bit differently. And I think we're still managing to do it differently. And I would pray, Danny, is that, um, you know, when somebody from your kid's generation or my kid's generation goes to write the book, not on the 75th anniversary, but on the 100th anniversary, they point to 5783, which was the, 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 the year that you began with, as the year when we got serious about thinking about what kind of a country we wanted to be. Because now, I mean, even Saudi Arabia is open to normalization with us. And, you know, the UAE has already done it and Dubai and Bahrain has done it and, and Egypt and Jordan and, you know, sort of Sudan and sort of Morocco. I mean, we're okay. We're okay on the outside. And this will be the quarter of a century in which we think through the inside and we'll do it in a way that nobody's going to be a complete victor. Nobody's going to be a complete loser. But we will be reminded once again of the profound miracle that this country is and we will be committed to making it work with each other. There's radicals on the left and radicals on the right who will not be part of that, I understand, but that the vast majority of people will say, we all carried that flag. And that really means something. And I want it to be that 25 years from now, and I probably won't be here to see it, and that's okay. I just want people to be able to say, this was the year we recognized how precarious it was, and a new generation awakened to make sure that it was not on our watch that we let it slip. That's what I'm going to be praying for, among much else, on Rosh Hashanah. In those quiet moments when you're not focused on what the machzer says, but you're just letting your mind go to a very different place. It's just what prayer is meant to do. Prayer is not about the words in the machzer. The words in the machzer are meant to create the moments where then you other you go other places. And everybody's saying the same words in shul, maybe, but everybody's thinking about different things. Everybody's brokenhearted about different things. Everybody has different dreams and different wants and different fears and different agonies. We're all in, a, in that part by ourselves. And I, I'm going to just be praying that my grandchildren will be proud of me and not ashamed of what I did. And that my grandchildren will be glad that their grandparents moved their parents here and feel grateful for that. And my grandchildren will feel, wow, we weren't really alive enough to know what was going on in 2023. It sounds like it was pretty wild 
And my parents, their parents, you know, my kids, their parents' generation, they saw it through. And we're going to do the same with our kids.